This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Every Bible, turn to the book of Galatians, chapter number five, if you would. Galatians five is where we're going to be at. I, um, man, this passage of text, Galatians five, verses twenty-two and twenty-three. We're going to be spending probably, I'd say, at least at least the next four weeks or so in this passage. Um, as I come to it, uh, as a pastor preparing to preach from it, uh, incredibly uh, apprehensive, I guess would be the right word I want to use here, just because this is one of probably, I believe, one of the most important texts that we find in the New Testament as it relates to Christian living and how we as Christians uh, can measure our success or failure as far as being spirit-filled Christians go. And so uh, as you come to weighty texts like this as a pastor, it always creates a level of anxiety to make sure that you want to say what the Bible says. You don't want to leave anything out. You want to do diligence as far as my study, my preparation, making sure that you get all the truth that's in this and really kind of just taking the text and wringing out every bit of truth that you can find in it. And and so uh, as they come to this, it's like preaching out of John 3.16. You know, it's the passage that everybody knows. There's a lot of weight to it. uh, And I want to make sure that I give a good... uh, uh, sense of what the text itself says so that's where we'll be at tonight now, tonight we're not even going to get into the fruit of the spirit as far as uh, what the fruit of the spirit looks like but we're going to be taking a look at what is fruit to begin with and so we'll take a look at that uh, tonight so this uh, if you're taking notes fruit of the spirit week one uh, how many weeks i don't know but this is week one uh, and that much we do know uh, so uh galatians chapter five we're going to start uh, just for the sake of context um we're going to back up to probably Uh, I would say verse number 16. Galatians chapter five, verse number 16. For this I say, then walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to another so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if ye be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. As we come to you at verses 22 and 23, uh, I always use these as a checklist, as a gauge for myself, and I encourage other people to do that as well. How am I at being spirit-filled? Now, if I am walking in the spirit, verse 16 says, if I walk in the spirit, I won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. If I'm walking in the spirit and God is at work in my life and the Holy Spirit is in control of me, these things will come out automatically, verses 22 and 23. And so the question I have to ask myself, is Anthony King a man of love? Is Anthony King a man of joy? Is Anthony King a man of peace? 
And I began to look at this as kind of like a scorecard. Uh, I, I love it for my kids and helping them do their assignments for school and stuff like that when the teachers give a rubric. Uh, if you've been out of school for too long, you don't know what a rubric is. It's basically the scorecard. Here's the points that you get in each area. Uh, did you clearly identify a thesis statement? I did, so I should get 10 points from that, right? I like to, I like to be able to gauge it. I hate these ideas of, you know, uh, we're going to look at the whole thing as a total and grade it as a whole, and I just didn't feel it or I feel like it wasn't clear. I like clear guidelines. Here's what you need to hit to get 100. I like that. God gives you nine characteristics that you need to hit 100 here. To be fully engaged in walking in the Spirit, these are the things that come out as a result of it. Uh, Again, if you take a look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Many times, uh, certain portions of Christianity will try to uh, put great emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit in the matter of uh, supernatural sign gifts of tongues and healings and miracles and uh, signs and wonders and things along those lines, Uh, but they neglect what the Bible says is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Uh, And again, if we take a look at supernatural sign gifts, those were for a certain time in the Bible that are no longer in use today, uh, the way that they were in biblical times. Uh, People have asked before, well, do you feel like uh, God could do miracles? Absolutely, all the time, for sure. He's still a God of miracles, but it's not commonplace the way that it was uh, in in biblical times. Could one speak in a known language without knowing that language? Uh, I don't believe that people can do that. If they did, it would be one of those things that everybody stood back and said, wow, that's amazing. It wouldn't be a room of 2,000 people all speaking in a known language uh, at the same time. Uh, That would be a biblical account of that. But the work of the Holy Spirit takes place when these things come out of us. So then the question that I have is, are my children spirit-filled? So I gotta take a look at that same rubric. My checklist that I have, are my children children of love? Do my children have joy? Are my children able to live peaceably as much as kids can uh, who have siblings, right? Um, Do my kids have peace? Then I have to ask myself this question. In my marriage, is our marriage a spirit-filled marriage? Well, is it constituted by long-suffering? Is it, does my marriage, could my marriage be described as a kind and gentle type of marriage? I don't know. Again, we have a scorecard to go off of. Our church, is our church a spirit-filled church? And again, when we talk about that, we have to define our terms. If our church is a spirit-filled church, it's not a church that when you walk in the room, it just feels electric. It feels like things are buzzing. Uh, I was always confused as a kid hearing evangelists come and talk and says, oh, do you feel the Holy Spirit bringing his presence into this room? And I thought to myself, I don't know what that feels like. Um, I don't have anything to gauge that based off of. I heard people before say, oh, I see the Holy Spirit falling on this group over here and the Holy Spirit, I see him doing a work over here and I think to myself, I'm looking around and I see absolutely nothing. Um, And again, those things are subjective. Those things that we can't objectively say, uh, those would just be somebody's interpretation of that. And again, we don't really find any biblical basis where we see that someone called out seeing the Holy Spirit fall other than the day of Pentecost. But is our church a church of love? When people come here, do they see real deal joy in our church? Is our church a church of peace where people find the peace of God and they can experience the love of God? We, again, have a scorecard to go off of to determine whether or not our church is a spirit-filled church or not. And so I love this passage of scripture because it's not some idea of kind of a fuzzy, maybe we are, maybe we aren't. There's clearly defined criteria on what the fruit of the Holy Spirit looks like in our lives. 
taking notes, and I highly recommend that you do. I want to say, first of all, that the fruit of the Spirit comes by the working of the Holy Spirit. I know that sounds really basic, but we just need to say that uh, from the get-go. The fruit of the Spirit is not something that you and I can conjure up on our own. It's not something that we can do on our own. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Hence, it is the fruit of the Spirit. Now, the idea behind this is because it's only a fruit of the Spirit, this fruit, true, real, lasting, deep down fruit like this is only available to believers. That means the unsaved man might be able to be a loving person, but he will never see the depths of the fruit of the Spirit. That only comes about by the Holy Spirit at work in the life of a believer's. Again, uh, the Bible is very clear in in Romans chapter 8. If any man have not the Spirit of God, he is none of his. So if you don't have the Holy Spirit, there's only one reason why, because you're not saved. And if you are saved, you have the Holy Spirit. Now, you might not be walking in the Spirit. You might not be allowing the Holy Spirit to do its work in your life, but you have the Holy Spirit. You're just neglecting it if that's the case. But this power that's available that comes from the fruit of the Holy Spirit comes about only by the Holy Spirit at work in us, therefore it's only available to believers. This is yet another reason, aside from Paul saying that uh, believers should not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, this is yet another reason why a marriage between an unsaved person and a saved person, first of all, should not happen. Secondly, if it does happen, it will never meet the full potential that that marriage could see because one person's an unbeliever. And so that's another reason why this scripture says it's very unwise to do that because you have one person who wants to walk in the spirit who is seeing real deal fruit of the Holy Spirit at work in their life and the other person does not have access to that same level of fruit that we see. Again, it's not just an emotion that we have or something that will change from time to time. It's the work of the Holy Spirit deep down inside that is lasting fruit. It's also interesting to note that while the works of the flesh are many, the fruit of the spirit is singular and they are all codependent. We read verses 19, 20, and 21, three verses long and a dozen plus works of the flesh. If you take a look in uh, verse number 19, multiple of them, and it's plural. But if you notice when we come to verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is singular. And while one could definitely create or commit the works of the flesh themselves. Most people will never have all of these together at one time. If they did, it would be the most wicked, miserable life you could ever imagine. But they're multiple. And so one could, uh, one unsaved person could have maybe a few of these works that, that makes who they are. Or a carnal Christian might be involved in a couple of these types of sin maybe not all of them, but they're, they're plural in nature, but the fruit of the Spirit is singular, and you can't have one without the other. They're codependent. They depend on one another. So you cannot have the fruit of the Holy Spirit if you only have love, but you don't have temperance or self-control. Maybe you're really good with self-control, but you have no joy. You can't have the fruit of the Spirit because they're codependent. It's a package deal. And the second you begin to separate parts of it out, it's no longer the fruit of the Holy Spirit any longer. It's good Christian virtue, but it's not the work of the Holy Spirit. And so again, it's a package deal, and we have to look at this. I've known people before who say, well, I'm, I'm a very loving person, but I just uh, I struggle with being patient or long-suffering. 
then you're talking about what you're good at as opposed to what the Holy Spirit wants to do inside of you. Because the fruit of the Spirit, you and I cannot produce ourselves. If we could do that, we wouldn't need the Holy Spirit to do it. If we're looking at this list and we're going, man, I'm, I'm all that automatically, then first of all, you're just not being honest with yourself. Secondly, these are not things that you can produce yourself. It requires the work of the Holy Spirit inside of you. Next, the works of the flesh are manifest, so should be the fruit of the Spirit. Verse number 19, now the works of the flesh are manifest. You can see these, adultery, fornication, idolatry, all of these things here, these are evident. They're obvious to anybody who's paying attention. So should be the fruit of the Spirit as well. Friend, you should be so filled with the Spirit. You should be so walking in the Spirit that people see your life and go, wow, different totally different and they have something that I don't have they they're acting a way that is not normal for our workplace hey I've never met another student in our school that carries themselves that way something's different people should see the fruit of the spirit they not, might not be able to say oh there goes a spirit-filled Christian there but they should be able to see that something's different in us we take our family out in public. People should be able to look at our children and the way that we love our children and serve our family and say something's different there. It should be obvious. It's not something that we should only allow people to see on the inside. Again, as we take a look at the fruit of the Spirit, fruit generally is something that's on the outside that you can see. Uh, you, know, you know, you go to a pineapple field, you know, the pineapple's in the dirt, but you got a part sticking out the top that you can see. There's fruit in that field, you can see it. You go past an apple tree, there's apples hanging on the tree. You, you just see it. The fruit of the Holy Spirit in your lives, people should just see it. You're different, you're distinct. Not like everybody else because there's a fruit in our life that's not available to other people. Next, we see in this passage that the works of the flesh hinder the growth of and ruin the fruit of the Spirit. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that the Spirit and the flesh are contrary one to another, that you can't do both. You've got to pick a side. So being you cannot be an idolater yet also have the fruit of the Holy Spirit, they're at odds with one another. It doesn't work that way. Yet by the same token, you cannot be walking in the Spirit yet egregiously involved in sinful activity. Just, they just don't go together. And one of them will ruin the other every single time. If you're walking in the Spirit and begin to be involved in sin, your fruit that you have will begin to rot. You'll no longer have, again, a miserable Christian is one who tries to sin against God and get away with it. It will sap your joy every single time. When I talk with folks that are struggling with their emotions and struggling with uh, being down or bummed out all the time or not being able to find joy, my first question every single time, is there any sin in your life that needs to be confessed? Now, I want to pause for just a second and say if you're struggling with, uh, with down feelings or blue or depression, it doesn't always mean it's sin in your life. I don't want to say that. That's not the case. That's the first question that I ask because there's nothing more exhausting as a Christian than to be a hypocrite. To say that I'm one thing yet continue in sin another way. And the word hypocrite means one who wears a mask. 
It's not one who makes mistakes from time to time because we're in a room full of people that make mistakes from time to time. I make mistakes from time to time. I get frustrated. I lose my temper. I say things that I shouldn't or there's things that I should do that I don't do. That happens to all of us. I'm talking about one who puts on a show to be something that they're not really yet continues in sin when they get the opportunity. That's what the Bible calls a hypocrite. They come across as a, a solid Christian, but yet there's secret sin that's unconfessed. That's exhausting. That will take your joy every single time. And then the worst part about it is when you try to play both sides of it, you don't know whether you're supposed to be a Christian today or we're supposed to walk in the flesh today. And again, trying to be two people at one time is exhausting. So any fruit that's coming out of our lives as a result of the Holy Spirit will be ruined by sinful activity, by the works of the flesh, because the flesh and the Spirit are contrary one to another. Next, the fruit of the Spirit are not simply good character traits. They're the expected outgrowth of the life of a Christian. These are not just things like, hey, I should try to be more loving. Hey, I should get some of that joy. Hey, I think I'm going to try to be a little bit more long-suffering this week. That's not what this is talking about. That's not the case at all. These are not things, again, that we can conjure up on our own. These are things, not things that we can do for ourselves. And this is not a list of people who, oh, man, Joe's a good Christian. I really see the fruit of the Spirit in him. No, you should see the fruit of the Spirit in every Christian. Because if you don't, you are a disobedient, carnal Christian. And I know these are hard words, but I want to tell you this because I love you. So many times I see Christians who dismiss their own sinful behavior. Well, that's not really me. Yeah, I don't have the fruit of the Spirit because I didn't grow up like you. I didn't grow up in church my whole life. I didn't have a good example as a kid. And a a myriad of excuses why the Holy Spirit's not doing the work that he does for other people. And I want to pause for just a second here tonight and also say this. Don't compare your fruit to everybody else's either. Compare your fruit to the Bible. Compare your fruit to Jesus. Because you'll get discouraged or you'll be proud. One of the two. And either one of them is a bad road to go down. But we can't look at the fruit of the Spirit and go, well, that's for super Christians. No, it's for every Christian. Well, one of these days when I get my life together, I'm going to see some fruit like that. No, no, no. You need to get your, your life together this week and begin to see fruit this week. Because this is the natural outgrowth of the life of a Christian. Healthy things grow. That's just what they do. And if my Christian walk is healthy and my Christian life is healthy and the Holy Spirit's doing a work inside of me, I will grow in spiritual fruitfulness because healthy things grow. And if I'm not seeing this fruit, I need to ask myself why. If I have no joy, I need to ask why. If I I have no peace, I need to ask myself the question, why? If I lose my cool, if I'm not willing to put up with being wronged, I need to ask myself, why? If I have no self-control, I need to ask myself, why? Because the Holy Spirit wants to do this work inside of me. Something's blocking my fruit production. Next. Paul links the work of the flesh directly to condemnation. And when we say condemnation, I'm talking about you're not saved and you're under God's wrath. And if you die in your sin, you're going to go to hell. The works of the flesh are an outgrowth of those that don't know Jesus. 
And again, you look at that and you go, well, I don't really know if the works of the flesh are indication that we're not saved. Verse 21 says otherwise. Again, verse 21, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such the like of which I tell you before, as I have also told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. This phrase is a phrase, shall not inherit the kingdom of God, is a phrase that Paul uses three different times throughout Scripture to talk about people who are in habitual lifestyle sin that refuse to repent. And again, we took a look at this uh, last week or week before last, but it's not a matter of you committed idolatry or you committed adultery, therefore you must not be saved. It's a matter of you are an idolater, not you did it once, that's who you are. You're not, you didn't commit adultery once, you are an adulterer. You're, you haven't uh, done things against God, you continually rebel against God. You're not, you don't lose your temper once in a while. You are a hate-filled person. It's, it's a different level. The Bible says those people that are those types of people do not have the fruit of the Holy Spirit and cannot be saved according to the Bible. Now, again, we don't want to start saying so-and-so is a hateful person, therefore they're not saved. This is not a guideline for us to inspect other people's fruitfulness but to inspect our own. But Paul says, if you do these types of things, if you're, you're constantly producing bad fruit, then there's a good indication that you're probably not saved. Unless you think, well, that's just what Paul thought. First of all, the Holy Spirit wrote all of the Bible, so God said it. Secondly, Jesus links our fruit directly to our salvation. We take a look at what Jesus said about fruit bearing in the Gospels. You want to turn over to Matthew chapter 7 tonight. Do that in your Bibles. Matthew 7. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse number 15. Matthew 7, 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Notice fruits there being plural. Same as it was in Galatians 5 that we just took a look at the fruits or the works of the flesh. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. So, either the tree is good, and it's going to bring forth good fruit, or it's a bad tree, and it's going to bring forth bad fruit. No middle ground here. Now, if you've ever had trees before, you'll know that if you have an apple tree that's really healthy and making good apples, every now and then there's going to be a rotten apple. It just happens. That's part of the fruit-bearing process. But if you have a tree that year after year only produces rotten fruit and hasn't ever in the lifetime of that tree ever produced a good apple to eat, you will look at that and say, that is a bad tree. Not that I had a bad apple one time. That is a bad tree. That's what Jesus says here. <laughs> a good tree is not going to continually produce bad fruit. But at the same time, a bad tree cannot produce good fruit either. He goes on further. Verse 22. 
Verse 19, every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down or cut down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by the, their fruits shall ye know them. So it goes on to say here, hey, everyone that's gonna, that doesn't bring forth good fruit, that puts forth bad fruit because it's a bad tree is gonna be cut down and thrown into the fire. Now you look at that and you go, is that talking about hell? Or is it just talking about getting rid of trees that don't produce good fruit? I don't know, but as we took a look at this morning, when it comes to exegeting the Bible, the best commentary on Scripture is Scripture. So let's continue reading this passage and see what Jesus really meant. Verse 20, wherefore by their fruits shall you know them. Verse 21, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have, and in thy name have not cast out devils? And in thy name done many wondrous works? And I'll profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. They're gonna stand before God one day and say, hey, we did good stuff. And he's gonna say, I don't know who you are, worker of iniquity. One who continually produced sin in their life you had rotten fruit I cut you down I threw you to the fire and at the end of the day God says I don't even know who you are it's heavy but Jesus directly links the fruit that we bear to our salvation and if you are continually producing crummy rotten filthy fruit you got to reanalyze things because there's a possibility that you might not be saved so we need to be incredibly careful in examining our own life and make sure that we're walking in the spirit and exhibiting the fruit of the spirit because that points to our salvation. Next, Jesus links our fruit directly to our usefulness to him. Turn over you to Luke chapter six. Luke chapter six, verse number 43. For a good tree bringeth forth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bringeth forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit, for the of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush they gather grapes. A good man out of the treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. So again, the fruit that I bring forth is really just an indicator of my heart. What people see going on in my life and the type of person that I am is an indication of everything that's taking place in my heart. But Christian, many times we excuse our sinful nature. Well, I've always just been a hot-headed guy. That's who I am. I'm not as bad as I used to be, but I, I still lose my temper from time to time. I still say some things that I shouldn't from time to time. Hey, 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 you are only admitting that your heart is still full of sin. And friend, let me just tell you this. Sin is not excusable. You read Romans chapter six, you're no longer a slave to sin. You have victory over it. If you choose to stay in your sin, it's a choice that you make. So we need to recognize that our fruit is a direct result of the 
treasure of our heart, verse 45 says. So again, if you take a look at verse number 44, every tree is known by his own fruit, for of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. If God wants to do a great work, let's just say here in the city of Honolulu, where does he find the people to do it? Will he find carnal Christians who are given over to their sin? No, he says you don't gather grapes among the thorns. He's gonna go to a solid vineyard where there's solid grapes and he's gonna gather fruit from that portion. If God wants a spiritual people to do a spiritual work, he's gonna find spiritual people to do it. He's not gonna find carnal Christians to do it. And I say this because I want to see God do something great through this church. Our family moved here six years ago to start who we call a Baptist church because we believe that God wanted to do something special in this city. Our family did not move here from California and make ridiculous sacrifices to show up on Sunday to sing songs with a few people and then go out and live like carnal Christians all week and come back next Sunday and do it again. Not interested in that. And God isn't either. Hey, look, there's churches like that plenty. We don't need another one. We, believed here, we moved here because we believed God wanted to do something special with a group of people who were sold out to him who would be spiritual people who walked in the spirit. And that's why we've seen every single victory we've ever seen at who we call a Baptist church. First of all, because God has done the work. Secondly, he's done it through spirit-filled people. Thankful this morning that the two of the three people that got baptized got saved here at who we call a Baptist church. Jensen was invited to church by a coworker who brought him to church. Brian had the opportunity to share the gospel with him and see him saved. Jensen's now in discipleship with my son Vanderlei. Hey, just some spiritual people doing spiritual stuff. Brittany, who got baptized, uh, her husband was a coworker, my son Thatcher. When Thatcher worked at Banana Republic three years ago. And Thatcher says, I remember talking to, to Andy about church and getting so frustrated because Andy grew up in church and I just couldn't get him here. And he goes, I would get so frustrated five years ago, inviting this guy and inviting this guy and inviting this guy. And he said, I finally just kind of gave up. You know, it's like, hey, if he wants to come to church, he knows where to find us, and he never came. But fast forward five years later, he doesn't come, but his wife does. And after the church service, I asked her, I said, if you die today, are you sure you go to heaven? She says, I'm not. I said, can I have one of our ladies show you from the Bible how you can be sure? She said, you can. And sat down with Celestine. Celestine took her through the gospel, and Brittany got saved. What happened? Just spiritual people trying to do spiritual stuff, that's all regular, ordinary, average people, nothing special about us other than the God that we serve. He's incredibly extraordinary and supernatural. But there's no limit what God can do through spirit-filled Christians. Turn back to Galatians 5, if you would. Final thought, and we're done tonight. Let's take a look at verses 22 and 23. Galatians 5, 22, 23. If you haven't already, circle, star, underline these verses in your Bible. Commit these to memory. Memorize them. They're so important. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, 
Against such, there is no law. If you take a look at those nine characteristics that make up the fruit of the Holy Spirit, who would you say perfectly to a T embodies these without exception? Who's the answer to that? Jesus, right? So how about this? The fruit of the Spirit is just being like Jesus. It's it. It's not complicated. It's not a big deal. It's not hard to wrap your mind around. No, no. The fruit of the Spirit is just Christ-likeness. It's just you and I being like Jesus every single day. When faced with temptation, we shut it down. When faced with loving people and serving people, we choose to do that rather than being selfish. When faced with the opportunity to find the terrible, awful things about our workplace, we look to find the good things and praise those things. When faced with another day of life, we're just thankful to be alive. When people say, hey, how you doing? We say, better than we deserve because God is good. That's it. Just being like Jesus every single day. And again, I have to confess to you, I've looked at this list before and basically tried to weasel my way out of not having to fulfill it gentleness. I don't know of any guy that I know that wants to be known as a gentle guy. Oh, Anthony, he's so gentle. You shake his hands and they're all clammy and and feels like you're shaking a dead fish. Nobody wants that. My wife to this day, there's a guy that we knew in California that was in our Sunday school class. To this day, every time she sees a man with smooth hands, she goes, oh, he's got hands like so-and-so. Because this dude had like ultra baby soft, smooth hands. I mean, this guy didn't have a cut, a scratch, a scar, a callus anywhere. Just the smoothest, buttery hands. Like I picture this guy like dipping his hands in paraffin wax before church. Like that's what I think. And when guys look at that, you're like, I don't really want to be known as gentle. You know, that's not my thing. Well, do you want to be known as a jerk? Do you want to be known as harsh, hard, cutting with your words? You see, we just need to re-examine what gentleness looks like. It doesn't mean being a sissy. It doesn't mean being a wimp. It doesn't mean putting your hands in paraffin wax or going to get a manicure. Hey, you don't have to do all those things to be gentle. You know what it means? It just means being Christ-like. It means being loving, caring. I'm not going to be hard or cutting with my words. I'm not going to shut people down. I'm not going to be harsh. I'm going to be gentle, caring, kind, compassionate, loving. That's what I want to be, just like Jesus. If you've gone through discipleship or you're going through discipleship as we talk about the attributes of God and who God is, there's certain attributes of God that belong to only God. God is omnipresent. He's all places at all times. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing of all things. Uh, He is... um, different attributes that we have. His sovereignty only belongs to him. His holiness, his sinfulness only belongs to him. But there are other attributes that we would call the communicable attributes that God shares with us. So non-communicable, those are only God's. Nobody else has those. But there's other communicable attributes and those attributes we find in the fruit of the Spirit. God is love. The Bible tells us that in 1 John. God is joy. God is peace. I was thinking through this today and I was going through this list and you look at the list of the fruit of the Spirit and you can imagine Jesus, God in the flesh. He was a loving person. 
He had joy. He also felt deep sorrow. He had peace. He was long-suffering when people did him wrong, when people did things that they shouldn't have, when people uh, made accusations against him that weren't true. He was long-suffering. He was gentle with people. Kids would run up to him and grab a hold of him, weren't fearful of him. And look at that, and it's so easy to imagine Jesus embodying the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I just want to be like Jesus. But then as I begin to, to think through those lists of God, how God is also the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and God the Father is a God of deep love and compassion. And I thought to myself, God getting joy. Can you imagine? Like you can imagine Jesus getting joy the way you and I would have joy but God having joy, and then I, I begin to, you know, again, my mind is weird. I just begin to go on a rabbit trail and think about things. What makes God, like, break out with joy? What could that be? And then I begin to think, well, the Bible says that there's much rejoicing in heaven for one sinner that comes to repentance. When people get saved, God gets fired up. God is pleased by our obedience to him. God's pleased, hmm, Hebrews eleven six, but without faith, it's impossible to please God. Our faith pleases God. God gets joy from us. And that's fascinating to me, fascinating. But then I have to bring it a little closer to home. Again, anybody can sit and talk about abstract things. Well, I wonder what Jesus exhibiting gentleness or meekness looked like. I wonder what Jesus exhibiting temperance or self-control looked like. That's easy. If you can look at God and you think of God being long-suffering, uh, the Bible says that God is forbearing his wrath. He's holding it back because he wants to give everybody the opportunity to be saved. You think about that, that's easy. But then when you begin to look at the list and go, me, how about my long-suffering? What does that look like? Hmm. That's a little bit more painful. My own temperance or self-control, what does that look like? What does my long-suffering look like? What does my joy look like? What does my gentleness look like? Am I a meek person? And again, we're gonna unpack every single aspect of the fruit of the Spirit and define it and dig down deep and, and, and figure out what it means to us from the Bible and how we can make sure that we're exhibiting it in our own lives. But I want to leave you with this thought this week. The fruit of the Spirit cannot and will not coexist with the works of the flesh. So the best advice I can give you this week is if you want to see the fruit of the Spirit in your life, in your marriage, in your workplace, in your home, check your heart for any creeping sin. Is there anything in my life that needs to be made right? Is there anything I need to change? Is there anything that needs to be made right between me and God right now? I want to do that. Don't allow anything in your life that will hinder your spiritual fruit bearing because this is all the stuff that you want. This is all the stuff that your heart and your soul craves. You want love. You want joy. You want peace. You want long-suffering. You want all of these things. This is what your heart desires. Don't cut short that by allowing sin in your life. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.